Hi everybody, welcome to your Italian true crime fix. Before start today's episode, just a quick call to action. Please follow me on Instagram at Bloody Pasta Podcast. You will find extra material on each case. Please rate, review, subscribe and download from every platform that you are currently listening from, especially Apple Podcasts and Good Pods. Today's episode is different to the others. I will tell you about two cases, kind of linking to each other. And no, he's not a serial killer. We will travel to two different cities. Ferrara, a medium-sized town, one hour north to Bologna. And Firenze. I think everybody knows where Firenze is. I will post some pictures of Ferrara and Firenze on my Instagram page. My opinion, both cities are worth a visit. But without further ado, welcome to the dark side of Italy. Welcome to Bloody Pasta. Ferrara lies on the banks of the river Po, with a medieval center full of monuments and historical and artistic beauty. This gave Ferrara a spot in the World Heritage Site. Everything about Ferrara will attract you. People are friendly and affable. The castle dominates the city and the Duomo, the church, is next to it. The streets of the city are a continuous coming and going of bicycles. But no one was on the street when our first story took place. I always thought that surviving to your child was an unbearable pain. Now I realize that in reality you don't survive, and I don't mean it figuratively. That is just the way it is. A part of me is out of breath. It, it is no longer, there's no light and no future. Because the breath, the light and the future has been taken away from me. Saturday, September 24th was a peaceful and cheerful day. After school, a lunch together, chatting and laughing. It was still summer and it was still hot. He woke his dog. He didn't do that often, but that day he went out with his music in his headphones. Everything about that day had a special aura to it. And thinking about now, it's like he wanted to say goodbye to all of us. He had a smile for everyone. The joy was in him. He met his friend's group. Then he went to his little pizza delivery job. The evening program included a concert in Bologna. Before leaving, he stopped by the house to change his shoes. He broke it playing football. That was the last time I saw him alive. This was a direct quote from Patrizia Moretti, mother of Federico Aldrovandi, who died in September 25, 2005 in Ferrara. The 18 years old had gone to a club in Bologna with friends the night before. Then a police check, a fight, and an unexpected death on a way back just before dawn. Monica Segato, Paolo Forlani, Enzo Pontani, 
in Luca Pollastri. They were all found guilty of manslaughter and sentenced to three years and a half in prison. Federico case has been in the center of debate for a long time. Everything thanks to a blog started by his mother, Patrizia. But who was Federico? Federico Aldrovandi was born in July 17, 1987, in Ferrara. The father, in fact, was a police officer, and the mother was an employee of the city. Federico enrolled the technical school for electronics in high school, and he had a lot of interest in engaging in a variety of activities in his spare time, like every teenager. Federico was a supporter of the local football team, European football, and the name of the team is SPAL. He loved to go on games and to go to concerts. He also played the clarinet and he's been taking karate lessons since he was 11 years old. Karate was another of his great passion. He was working as a Pony Express in the local pizzeria from time to time. Federico was waiting to take his drive license exam just before he died. Federico went to a social center club in Bologna with other four friends just hours before his death. The group had arrived to attend to a reggae music concert. It was the first time they went to the link, this social center club. Inside of the club, they lose sight of each other and... During that night, he consumed a small amount of drugs and alcohol during the evening, as evident by the post-mortem exams. Federico was an occasional drug user, and then on the Saturday at the disco, he tried heroin by inhalation, a small amount of ketamine, ecstasy, and he also taken some cocaine and LSD. He tried drugs out of curiosity, but he was not a drug addicted. He didn't seem to need any assistance. On the way back, everything seems normal. Nothing can predict what happened shortly after. Federico appeared calm. On the way back in the car, he fell asleep because, you know, he was almost done. Getting out of the car, he appeared to be sober and it did not stagger in his, on his legs. Federico was not left alone by his friends right away. The five of them shared a final cigarette on the benches in the park. Federico then makes the decision to walk home by himself. Minutes later, a, a petrol car with two police officers stopped him. According to the agents, Federico was a violent invader who was clearly agitated. The Carabinieri said they had been attacked and requested reinforcement as soon as possible. The two initial agents are inside of their vehicle when another petrol car arrives in Via de Ippodromo. Federico and the cops get to in a fight. At the conclusion of the clash, two broken batons are in the hand of two of the officers. The agents call for an ambulance shortly after 6 a.m which arrived in Via dei Podromo in a matter of minutes. According to the health works, Federico was found lying on the ground, prone with his hands handcuffed behind his back. They attempted to resuscitate him. Shortly after 6 a.m., Federico is officially declared dead. And what about his parents? 
This is how Patrizia recalled the 25th morning in her blog. I woke up and it was almost 8 o'clock. I started to call him and text him. Nothing. There was no way he wasn't answering. Normally if he was late, he would always let me know. He told me I would stress him out, but he didn't want to worry me. I arrived at the idea that he just has lost his phone. Then his father started to call him too. On Federico's phone, his father was not safe under father or dad, but with his name, Lino. A voice answered. That voice strongly asked who was on the phone and asked to describe Federico. Then the same voice qualifies himself as a police officer. And to our questions, he answered that he had found the phone on a bench near the race track and they were making inquiries. Then he hung up. Immediately, I searched for the police station number and I also repeatedly tried to call a friend who works there. Nothing. An operator replied time later, I'm sorry, there's a shift change. I'm not informed about anything. As soon as we have news, I will call you back. Nothing for another three hours. I spent a long time panicking, call everybody, hospitals, friends, and again, the police station. At the meantime, Stefano, Federico brothers, rushed out on his bicycle, tried to search for him. Thank goodness he didn't go to the right place. The police came to notify us only around 11 a.m. after they had taken him away. His body was on the road, alone, in the street from 6 to 11. And they didn't call me. He was my son. No one has the right to keep a mom away from her son. And they told me they did it for me. Because it was better than I didn't see. At that time, I even believed them. The police said a local resident had called them because she heard screams. They also said he had just injured them himself by banging his head against the wall. This turns out to be all false. Denied just by examination. Federico was disfigured by the beating. A long time later, I got back his clothes. He was wearing a t-shirt, a hoodie and a tame jacket. They were completely soaking blood. They said he didn't want to get cold and he was struggling and even stood on the police car. The doctors reported that he had a crushed scrotum, a lacerated wound on his head and numerous marks of beating all over his body. I could only see his face once. From his left temple, his eyes, his checkbone full of bruises and black marks of handcuffs on his wrist. Then I saw him in a casket. His body was no longer look aligned or symmetrical. My baby was perfect and gorgeous. They destroy him. No one cared about Federico's death in 2005. This case reached a turning point on January 2nd, 
2006 when Patrizia launched her personal blog sharing her story and the story of her son after long, lonely and silent months. Almost immediately Francesco's name bounced around the national press. Even the Chamber of Deputies get involved and Carlo Giovanardi, the Minister of Relationship with the Parliament at the time, make a question. Giovanardi supports the diversion of the police headquarters. The interest of the magistrate and the family has always been at odds, especially on the evidence. According to the scientific examination made by the prosecution, the Federico died of heart failure, which tricked an oxygen deprivation. His physical condition were induced only by the drugs he consumed that night. This finding did not convince at all the family. They believed that Federico died as a result of his chest being crushed based on the sign of violence they saw on their son's body. According to the parents' scientific analysis, the agents took his breath away by climbing on his back with his knees. However, the family examination revealed that the teenager consumed the same amount of substance and drugs as the prosecutor officer consultant revealed, but they conclude there was not enough to cause a respiratory arrest. The name of the four agents who intervened in Via dei Podromo on September 25, 2005, were entered in the register of suspects on charge of manslaughter in March 2006. Monica Segatto, Paolo Forlani, Enzo Pontani and Luca Pollastri. The police officer position was aggravated by the testimony of a Cameroon woman who lived very close to the, er- uh, to the area and testified in front of the magistrates. The woman claims to have witnessed some of the conflict between the agents and the teenager. During the trial, new expert report definitely rules out any link between Federico death and the drug use. This brings us to January 2007, when the four officers were arrested and charged finally with manslaughter. The first hearing was scheduled for October of that year. The prosecutor entails a series of testimony with new elements emerging as the procedure progress. Turns out for example, that the prosecutor did not conduct any investigation in Via dei Podromo, that the police car against which Federico would have been struck in the head, as well as the batons, two of which broken, were not confiscated, either searched properly. The tape, which contained the communication between the headquarter and the petrol car, was made available to the prosecutor much, much later after the fact had occurred. The judge welcomed the expert report, Professor Gustavo of the University of Padova. He concluded that Federico died of asphyxiation as a result of chest compression, confirming the family position. The officer pressured the teenager trunk according to 
the professor caused the heart to be crushed, resulting in his death. The judge Francesco Maria Caruso sentenced the four police officers to three and a half years in prison for the four officers. A pardon was made available to the four convicted officers, covering 36 of the 42 months of their final sentence. Bologna Supervision Court de- decided on January 29th, 2013, that the six remaining months of the sentence would have been served in prison. And thanks to a so-called degree or emptying prisons, Monica Segato, the only woman among the four, is released and placed under house arrest after 16 days in prison. The other three cops turns the other three cops spend six months in prison, after which all of them are reinstated in the police force. In January 2014, three of them returned to work handling administrative matters in office outside Ferrara. Only one of them stay at home due to mental health issues. The decision to make everyone wearing again the uniform has been triggered harsh response from Federico family. Because despite receiving the support, lot of support from the public, police union, Italian police union, have always support their colleagues. Patrizia Moretti, Federico Mothers, described the four officer as a symbol of impunity. Throughout all these years of legal battles, a non-profit organization grew. The name Verità per Aldro. The organization aimed to raise awareness and promote information on law enforcement abuse of power. But that's not all. There's more. Every year on the anniversary of the young man death, it holds event. Remember what happened in Via dei Podromo, September 25, 2005. Here is where Federico's story ends a case of police brutality and a courageous family. But today I would like to tell you about another police brutality case which is still ongoing. Some true crime cases receive far less attention than others, despite having the same obscure and unresolved characteristic as the most famous event. Tell my story. These were the last words spoken by Riccardo Magherini before closing his eyes forever on the evening that he never thought would have been the last of his life. We move now to Firenze. And finding yourself in the center of Firenze is like reading a history book. Every corner, monument, statue, square of churches is taking you in a splendor past of this city. You will never get tired of admiring masterpiece architecture all around you. And finally you can rest. And finally you can rest. A nice relaxing walk in the bubbly gardens from where you can admire the magnificent panorama of the city. 
Riccardo, 39 years old man, born, lived and died in Firenze. But his story is not a part of history book. Not yet. Riccardo died of cardiac arrest while in the midst of a panic attack and under the influence of drugs while the carabinieri kept him immobilized under the, until the ambulance arrives. Three carabinieri who were involved in the affair and accused of manslaughter were acquitted by the Supreme Court November 15, 2018 because the fact does not con- uh, constitute a crime. The decision sparked a firestorm of discussion. So let me tell you a little bit about Riccardo and all the circumstances surrounding his death. Riccardo, as I said, 39, was a former youth footballer of Fiorentina. He has a young son and had recently divorced his wife. On the evening of March the 3rd, he was still on the street after dinner with friends when he started to suffer from a panic attack which might have been caused or exacerbated by cocaine and alcohol assumption. He became agitated. He believes he's been followed. Paranoia. He tries to seek help by approach people on the street under the influence didn't help. He scared people off. Then he called a taxi after midnight begging to be escorted in his mother's house. While in the taxi, he gets to an argument with the driver. Ricardo assaults him and accuses him of being his enemy. Paranoia. Panic attack. The taxi driver frees himself from Ricardo's grips and flees in his car, terrified. Ricardo is now alone in the street again, continues on foot, increasingly shaking. He pulls over several cars, believing he was pursued by bad guys and seeking help. But he turns violent. He breaks a restaurant glass door and snatches the phone from a waitress. He then collapses on the ground, on the sidewalk, curls up into the fatal position, tries to protect himself from unknown enemies. After receiving two late night phone calls, the carabinieri intervene. Ricardo seems to feel better. He returns the stolen phone to one of the witnesses, but he doesn't want to follow the carabinieri. He resists the arrest, and they retained him immobile. A phone call to the central station March 3rd at exactly 1.21 a.m. announced Magherini immobilization and anticipate the need for an ambulance. At that point, what happened is not clear. Riccardo is not calm, but he is immobile on the ground, unable to react. Despite this, ten different witnesses, each of whom was heard separately, allegate the carabinieri kick him multiple times. Instead, another carabinieri slammed Riccardo's chest on the ground with his knees on his back, causing the man to scream that he can't breathe declare I am dying. One of the witnesses stand out in a fairly comprehensive and instructed video that captured a significant portion of the arrest 
and, and start to scream to the carabinieri, not the kicks. Margherini is hurt and unable to breathe, so they call for an ambulance and assistance, claiming that he's dying. Twelve minutes pass from the time he was immobilized until the ambulance arrives. An infinite amount of time during which the man experienced breathe difficulties until fainting and dying, which of course approximately five minutes before the medical assistant arrive. While his body is still crushed on the ground by the pressure of the carabinieri, Riccardo died of cardiac arrest, facilitated by a postural asphyxiation, a factor that frequently prompts comparison with Federico Aldrovandi case. The death of George Floyd, who died in 2020, had several parallels to Riccardo's case, so much so that in honor of George's death in June 2020, a demonstration in Florence took place in Piazza Santo Spirito, getting on their knees, just like the symbols of protest in the US. But no protest was held for Riccardo. Despite multiple stories confirming the same scenario and initial request for conviction, the three carabinieri were acquitted in the Supreme Court in November 15th to 2018 because the facts do not con- constitute a crime. I learned about this story because of Ricardo family. Again, a loud and strong voice of a family who want lawfulness and truth. Ricardo wants and deserves justice. Andrea, Ricardo's brother, said, according to the judges, if the pressure from the knee had not eased, the agent would not have been known that Ricardo would have died with that behavior. Despite his, the cries become increasingly weaker and rantles almost unheard. This sentence have killed his brother a second time. As a result, the Ricardo family petitioned the European Court of Human Rights through their lawyer, who, after accepting the appeal, formally requested explanation from Italy about what occurred on that fateful night in 2014. At this time, a number of questions remain unanswered. The Italian government must first determine whether the officer used the force was absolutely necessary and proportionate to the containment of the person stopped. As the court wants to know as well if the agents receive adequate training to prevent abuse and ensure that the subject voluntarily was protected. Another quote for Andrea Magherini. Something is clearly wrong with the system. When law enforcement takes a military and representative approach to every situation, especially when the person stopped has done nothing wrong but simply seeking assistance. When you are in the hand of the government officials, your right to life is sacred and you expect it to be protected. The agents are not allowed to do whatever they want just and must follow certain rules, training, courses, including first aid and protocols. I'm hoping that our case 
will help this happen as quickly as possible. In theory, Italy now has until April 27 to 2022 to respond to the European Court. The journey is far from over, but we are abundantly satisfied today, Andrea Mangherini concludes. If the state eventually admitted there was something went wrong, justice will have been served not only for Riccardo, but also for all the people who will be stopped in a similar circumstances in the future. Here is where Riccardo's story will end for now. I hope I can give you an update later this year. For me, police brutality is a horrible crime and especially if you're wearing this uniform and you disrespect the intrinsic trust of the population, especially when people need your help, your sentence should be longer. I would like to end this episode with another quote from Patrizia Blog. If it was true that he was acting out on his own, why wasn't the ambulance called immediately? Why land him in such violent and bloody manner? He was alone. There was no one there. He was unarmed. He was not a threat to anyone. Why wait? Why wait so long before notifying the family? Of course, so we wouldn't have to see him. If we had seen him like that, what would have happened? What resonance would have had? Until next time.